the best scotches for bourbon drinkers, keeping a whiskey journal, and how often I drink whiskey. What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and you are listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. And today we have yet another Q&A episode of Whiskey Noobs, where I answer questions that you guys ask. You can ask me every Wednesday on Instagram through my story, at whiskey underscore noobs on Instagram. I'll post a photo to my story, and there will be a sticker so that you can ask me a question right through that sticker. If you go to patreon.com slash whiskey noobs and join the Patreon page, you will get priority, so your questions will be guaranteed to be answered prior to any Instagram questions being answered. Let's dig into some listener questions, but not before doing a mystery whiskey review. So if you've been around, you know we do mystery whiskey tastings on the Q&A episode days. I'm going to taste this whiskey, give you some brief notes about it and then you're going to try to guess what it is how could you even know what this whiskey is well it has been on the show at least in the past few handfuls of episodes uh, but it's definitely been on the show before and at the very least try to get the category try to figure out am i drinking bourbon or scotch or irish or what am i drinking i'm going to do that tasting right now and i don't even remember what notes i gave for this one because i just i I don't remember what i said about it so let's try it and see what it's like i guess (laughs) On the nose, I'm getting a fairly strong alcohol, but I'm also getting something that might be like a cherry and something that might be like a cinnamon. Let's take a sip, though. On the palate, I've got significantly less burn, a little bit of woodiness. Maybe there is some cherry there. I'm not 100% sure yet. Uh, Definitely some spice. And that's all I'm going to say for now. Let's move on and answer some listener questions. So I will be doing a few long-form questions, some of which will be longer than others uh, because I picked more long-form questions than I have the time to answer. But I'll be doing a few long-form answers to questions, and then, of course, at the end, I'll do a lightning round where I'll just try to rep them out as fast as I can. I don't select all the questions anymore, but so many of them I like. You guys do a great job asking these questions that I end up with way more than I can answer in, in one episode. But we're going to do our best. First question we've got, do you keep a whiskey journal? Do you recommend keeping one? If so, how would you recommend a notebook or a collection of your review sheets? So by saying my review sheet, my review sheets, this person is referring to the review sheets that I have on my Patreon page. So I put together a review sheet that's kind of the way I would like a review sheet to look, and that is what I have on my Patreon. My patrons all have access to it. You can download and print it. And my answer would be that's how I would keep a journal if I kept one. For sure, I would use those sheets because I designed those sheets to really walk through a tasting the way that I would want to walk through a tasting and the way that I do walk through a tasting. I just don't do it written down. So that's how I would do it. But I honestly, most of the whiskey that I drink is on camera. It's making content. So I don't do a whole lot of just sitting down and enjoying whiskey. Hopefully, more of that's going to be happening. I think I say that every time this comes up. I don't know. But uh, nevertheless, that is how I would do it. I would print out a whole bunch of those review sheets, uh, fold them in the center because it's two per page, staple that center, make a little binding out of it, and then I'd have a notebook. Um, And that personally, that's just me because I designed it. That's exactly how I want it. Now, what you could do if you're crafty, you could make one in Microsoft Word or I made that one, I think, in Excel. I don't remember. You can make one for yourself that's exactly the way that you want it. Or you could just get a journal. And journals are great. Um, You can find them very cheap on like, uh, why did I almost say YouTube? Amazon. You can find them pretty cheap on Amazon. 
And I love them. I think journals are a really great way to keep track of the whiskeys you've had, keep track of your thoughts. And then the other thing that you can do, which I also post to Patreon, my version of this, is I call it like the quick review database. You could put together like a little database and you could do this in Excel. Mine's a Word doc just to make it easier to read. But you could go through and you could say, you know, this whiskey, generally speaking, tastes like this to me. And generally speaking, I thought it was worth this much money at the time of tasting it. Problem is, and I've noticed this with the with the review database, you know, as time goes on, that price is going to change. But the, the main idea, the what does this taste like is there. And it gives you a really nice, very quick reference, you know, where was I with it and and how much uh, do I think it's worth? Another spin you could do on it, instead of saying how much you think it's worth, you could say how much you paid for it and whether you thought it was worth more or less. That way you know if you were impressed or unimpressed. It's another way to do it. So those are a couple of ways I would personally keep track of the tastings that I'm doing. But most of mine are recorded on video. So not that I ever go back and reference those videos, so I don't know why I wouldn't write them down. But that's the honest truth. I, I don't write down a lot of my stuff because most of the time I'm on camera, so I'm not you know, going through and writing them down. Okay, moving on to the next question we've got here. What is the best scotch or scotches for bourbon drinkers that like higher proof, flavorful bourbon? So <clears throat> specifically in the higher proof realm, I don't have a lot of experience with scotch. So I can't really speak to the high proof. I can definitely say you're going to want something higher proof if that's what you prefer. But also higher proof scotch can be kind of expensive, at least in my area. I live in Ohio. It's pretty expensive here. But here's what I will say. Scotch is for bourbon lovers. Uh, There's a couple that I'd recommend kind of for different reasons. So the first would be Akintosh and American Oak. Whenever I tried it, it just really had a spiciness of oak to it that I really enjoyed. Anything with too much sherry is going to – like too much of a sherry finish – to me, is a little too different from a bourbon for a bourbon drinker. That sherry finish, I love it, but it also brings kind of a little bit of bitterness. So I wouldn't recommend any heavily sherried scotches. Another route you could take could be the peaty route. If you like challenging, you like high-proof bourbons, you like flavorful bourbons, then that peat, it's not going to taste like bourbon, but it's going to be similarly aggressive in some of them. So like an Ardbeg tenure, it's going to be similar, similarly aggressive. Then the other route you could take, and this is actually the scotch that I picked out because I recognized I was liking a lot of bourbon-tasting-esque scotches. I ended up going with, when I did the episode about this, I'll have to look up what episode that was. I went with Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin, and that is finished in port wine barrels, so it gives it a little bit of like a almost like a port finished bourbon flavor, like kind of in the same realm. You're getting that fruitiness. It's different from being sherried, um, so that does make it a little bit different, and I'm going to find what episode that was right now. That was episode number 95, Scotch Madness featuring Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin 14 year. Yes, that's aged not just in port wine. That's right. It's not just aged in port wine casks. It's also aged in bourbon casks. So you're getting a little bit of that spiciness. Also, you're getting a little bit of that fruitiness of like almost a port finished bourbon, like an Angel's Envy. So that is what I personally tried, and I enjoyed it. I thought it had some of those darker 
spicier flavors. It had like a dark chocolate. It reminded me, I remember saying, of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know why, but it just did. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking at it. I keep looking off camera. It's because I'm looking at the bottle of Energy. And I've realized in editing these video podcasts that are new that I look off camera a lot when people ask me about whiskey because my shelf, if you're watching the video version of this, my shelf's right there. So, like, obviously there's these shelves behind me, but, like, my shelf with most of my stuff on it is right there. And so that's what I'm looking at if you wonder why I'm looking off camera all the time. Anyhow, let's move on. Those are a few recommendations of scotches for bourbon drinkers. The next question that I have is, have I ever heard of Minglewood bourbon? They are also out of Ohio. Cool to see local craft distillers. Yes, I have heard of Minglewood. I tried one of their flavored whiskeys because I was told to try it. When was that? That was a long time ago. I was told to try it because it was peach, and I liked a peach bird dog. Um, so I tried it. <clears throat> had a little bit more of like a candy to it, similar to like a uh, Crown Royal peach. Sorry, I'm really blanking today. Similar to a Crown Royal peach. It had a little bit of like a candy flavor to it, and I enjoyed that. I haven't had just their bourbon, though, like just plain bourbon, so I do want to try that. And I also very much have been thinking about going to see more local distillers. So please, guys, if you want to see me go to local distillers, not just in my city but in other cities, like while I'm traveling, please let me know. I'm thinking that might be something I kind of expand into. Some of the distilleries in Columbus, some of the distilleries in Cleveland. Minglewood's actually very close to me. Um, I might start branching out in that sort of way. So please let me know if that's the type of content that you would want to see. Okay, this next question is very relevant to a video that I just posted. Have you ever heard of utilizing air to enhance the flavor of whiskey? Yes, and the reason I picked this one as a long-form question and not a speed round question is because I think this is getting a little bit out of hand on social media. So, yes, people say if you open a bottle and let it, you know, not let it sit open, but like you open it, you drink a little bit out of it, and that bottle sits on a shelf with that extra air in it, it can help open it up a little bit. I've seen a couple of whiskeys that I felt this made a difference. Old Forester 100 was one where I thought maybe that made a difference. They call it the neck pour. The first pour that doesn't have any of that air is called the neck pour, and sometimes people think it's extra harsh. So the one time that I found that to kind of be the case, but it also can be palate conditions, it can also be other things, was Old Forester 100. Now... The reason I say this has gotten out of hand. Oh, the second time that I found that to be the case, I did a blind tasting of a decanted whiskey that I had sitting in a decanter that had gotten a little bit more aerated than I would have preferred. I did that versus just that whiskey. It was Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, and I I did like the decanted version a little bit more. But this is getting out of hand. People are trying to make it seem like now you kind of have to decant your whiskey or like it's always going to open it up. It does not. There are some whiskeys that are significantly worse if they sit on a shelf too long. Buffalo Trace is a great example of this. I did an episode comparing an old bottle, a middle-of-the-road bottle that would be considered like not a neck pour anymore, like had time to open up, and a brand-new bottle. And the brand-new bottle was my favorite. I did that tasting blind, so there was no bias. But the brand-new bottle tasted the best. The other two started to – the youngish one tasted a little bit stale, It was hard to tell, but it was there, and the old one tasted legitimately stale. So you do not want to purposefully aerate your whiskey, guys, unless it's one that you know it works with or you do it as like a little experiment. 
but don't like drink a bottle down halfway and let it sit for a year thinking that's going to make it better because in my experience, my personal experience, my personal opinion, most of the time it's going to go stale. It's going to start to taste worse. That flavor is going to break down a little bit. Whiskey evaporates, so it, it, alcohol evaporates, I should say. So it does lose something in that evaporation. And a lot of times that's something to me is the body that makes it more rounded. It becomes this just kind of, it tastes cheaper almost, if that makes sense. And then, <laughs> and then this has gotten very overblown with hyper decanting your whiskey. You might have seen my video about this. People are using those latte foamers that you use to foam milk for a latte. Putting it in their whiskey, it pumps a ton of air into it, and they're saying it's hyper decanting, which I think people who don't know what decanting is are almost mistaking for like hyper aging, and that's not. It's not what it is. I did it blind with Buffalo Trace, and the one that was hyper decanted, quote unquote, was disgusting. It tasted so much more stale, I didn't like it at all. It just tasted, I said this in the video, just tasted like a bottle that sat on a shelf too long. I've had a couple of bottles in my days that sat on my shelf way too long. I should have finished them, and I didn't, and they it tasted like that. They, they go what I consider to be like a stale taste. So <laughs> to round off that answer, to bring it back a little bit, sometimes having a little bit of open up can be good. But I don't ever recommend purposefully aerating, decanting, aging your whiskey after it's been opened. I don't ever recommend exposing your whiskey to more air than it needs to be exposed to. Moving down the line. Uh, this one, it won't be quite as long, but I wanted to answer it in the long form section because it's a question that I used to have. Uh, shouldn't people doing barrel picks result in the distillery being left with low quality whiskey? If you don't know what a barrel pick is, a barrel pick basically means the distillery tastes a barrel. It says this is a really good barrel. We're going to reserve that for somebody to taste a bunch of these good barrels, pick their favorite of these good barrels, and then sell it. I have done a barrel pick. I have another one in the works that I don't know if it's announced yet or not, so I'm not going to say who it's with. And basically, a lot of people do barrel picks nowadays. Now, if you're taking all your good barrels aside and selling them to people, wouldn't you think that the the run-of-the-mill whiskey that the distillery comes out with tastes bad? So let me try to put this a different way. Uh, if I'm trying to pick a brand that I'm not working with. So let's just say I almost picked the brand that I'm working with that I don't think is announced yet. So let's just say Buffalo Trace. I'm not picking a barrel from Buffalo Trace. Let's just say they sold Buffalo Trace, and then they sold Buffalo Trace single barrel barrel pick, right? If you're giving away enough of those really good barrels of Buffalo Trace to give these barrel picks, won't normal Buffalo Trace, which is a blend of multiple different barrels, start to taste bad? No. And the reason is, there's a couple reasons. The first is most distilleries, if they know what they're doing, they're not giving away all of the good barrels or even the majority of the good barrels. I've spoken with distilleries that I wanted to work with that they're like, yeah, we will work with you, but we don't have single barrels for a while. Like it's not going to be your next barrel pick. You're going to have to wait because they save a lot of good barrels. So they're not just like bottling up all the junk and selling that and then giving away everything else as a single barrel. It's more like they usually there's somebody who runs a single barrel program and they have the leeway to say, okay, this is a really good barrel. This is a really good barrel. This is a really good barrel. Hey, can I have these three? And they might say, no, we can't give away that many good barrels. You can have that one, or you can have your favorite out of the three, whatever. Um, and it's way more, I'm dumbing this down. Okay. But, but this is why you don't get crappy whiskey aside from barrel picks. 
Um, so the distillery knows what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And the other aspect to this is like the run of the, in my example, run of the mill Buffalo trace is not a single barrel bourbon, which means they're taking however many barrels could be hundreds. I have no idea. They're mixing a bunch of these barrels together, which is your batch. You might've heard of small batch, which doesn't really have a definition, but in general, a smaller batch, less barrels. You take however many barrels, put together a batch of Buffalo trace, and then you sell that in distilleries work very hard. I actually talked about this in 115, episode 115 with Wes Henderson. They work very hard to keep the profile of that batch, that mixed up whiskey, very consistent. And so a lot of times they'll have samples they'll reference back to. They will make sure that Buffalo Trace in 2014 tastes the same way Buffalo Trace tastes in 2023. That's like a whole goal. So I totally get your question because I've actually wondered that myself, especially when I didn't know quite as much about the barrel picking programs. So that's kind of how it works. But the moral, like the short way to put that is distilleries, if they know what they're doing, won't let that happen. They'll pick a few really good barrels and sell them as just a single barrel, but they're going to keep a lot of the good stuff for themselves. So in general, that's how it works. And I'm sure there's different intricacies to it that I don't know about, but that's my understanding of it. So great question because I, I wondered the same thing a while ago. All right, let's move on to the next one. What's your unpopular opinion relating to whiskey? I feel like I had a specific answer I wanted to say for this and I don't remember what it was. Let me think about this for a second. Here, here's one. This might be unpopular. Actually, actually it might already be in an episode that's out, but I was just talking with a couple guys about this. I don't think there's any such thing as an objectively bad whiskey. I think there are better whiskeys and there are worse whiskeys objectively, but I don't think there's an objectively bad whiskey. And I don't like seeing influencers posting about whiskeys that were so bad or nobody buy this or avoid this whiskey run away because I almost always think there is someone for that whiskey Whiskeys taste all different, and some of them are objectively better than others, meaning there could be more body to it. There could be better, not a better profile, but a better presentation of the notes. I talked about that with Wes Henderson as well, ironically. You know, you can have all these notes, but it's only good if they're presented properly. Are you getting all those notes, or are you just overwhelmed with this weird flavor? That sort of a thing. So different whiskeys are better than others, uh, but I don't think you should ever objectively say you shouldn't buy this whiskey because there is probably somebody out there who should. There's probably somebody out there who will like that. I learned my lesson when I found out that not everybody likes smooth. You know, some of whiskeys, I have a friend that plenty of whiskeys are too smooth for him. He tries them and he's like, ah, it's just, it just tastes like alcohol. And I'm like, how could it just taste like alcohol? It's super smooth. Well, it just tastes out like alcohol to him because the notes are mellow and sweet and smooth. So he's only really tasting the alcohol because those notes are so light. Whereas if it had some spice, if it had some kick, some punch, which some newer folks would consider harshness, but for him, he likes it. So when, when it has that stuff, the, the spice, all that, it covers up that alcohol burn for him. So I've learned my lesson on saying, you know, some are better than others. You see it a lot, and you see it a lot because it's really, it's really, I don't want to say good content. It is content that will perform well to say this whiskey's terrible. It's just something that the internet's going to like. 
But you'll notice in a lot of my reviews, I always try to say you should buy this if, and then I give people who should buy it, and then I say you shouldn't buy this if, and I give people who shouldn't buy it. That's actually my newest review format, which I've really been liking because it seems like the fairest way to do that. So great question uh and that is that's my unpopular opinion we shouldn't be saying that this is a terrible whiskey or nobody should buy this whiskey in my personal opinion all right moving on down the line how often do i drink whiskey they asked specifically they said nightly or two to three nights a week depends heavily on the week but not as often as people think and that's why i wanted to take a moment and and point that out uh i purposefully don't drink whiskey every night I try to hold back basically as much as I can. Um, I would say it probably comes out to two or three nights a week. There are definitely spurts in the summertime where like maybe I'm drinking whiskey on camera and then I'm also drinking it with friends and then maybe, you know, I'm somewhere and I have beer like at a brewery or something. So that's when I really have to be conscious. But at the end of the day, whiskey's not good for you. Like, like alcohol in general is not good for you, especially too much of it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard Andrew Huberman saying that like two glasses a week is enough. It, it, after that, you're going to start seeing negative effects. I'm not a doctor. I can't speak to any of that, but I can speak to the fact that I try to limit myself as much as I can, especially being in the position that I'm in where I'm basically obligated to drink whiskey rather often. So I'll purposefully group together reviews, um, do them in the same night so that I can go multiple nights without drinking anything. But also in that night, space out those reviews while drinking enough water to not become intoxicated. So like it's become a whole thing, <laughs> but uh, great question. So I guess moral of the story you asked, do I do it two to three nights a week? I'd say it's a pretty solid estimate um, for sure on weekends. It's when I record a lot of my content and then sprinkled throughout the week, especially if I have a podcast that week, uh, then I'll be drinking on the podcast, especially if we're doing a review on the podcast. So Great question, but I do try to limit it, and I wanted to point that out because I think other people should be trying to limit it as well. What do I personally do to best prepare my palate? I'm going to have to move a little faster on this one because I've been taking my sweet time, I've realized. What do I do to prepare my palate? Well, I basically, if I know I'm doing an important tasting, I will eat bland food for the entire day. If it's a really important tasting, it might even extend a couple days beforehand. So like my barrel picks, for example, I really try to be eating bland food and then also try to make sure my palate's fired up and ready for the tasting. Maybe like a, a sip of something to calibrate. Like I know exactly what Buffalo Trace tastes like. So maybe I'll calibrate with a sip of Buffalo Trace. But I like to really be, really have my palate honed in. Um, for your, whoop, almost knocked over my glass of whiskey. For your average person who is not doing barrel picks and who is just tasting to enjoy it, a lot of times you can get by with, with some spicy food throughout the day, some bold food. Um, even today, I ate, I love like Mexican candy. So I ate um, this candy that basically had like chili powder on it. And I'm still tasting this almost revealed what the mystery whiskey is. I'm still tasting this mystery whiskey. Uh, so, and I can, I can do a tasting of it. I can say the notes. It's just not going to be as precise of a tasting as it is when I'm really eating bland on purpose. But vast majority of the time, like if I'm forming an opinion, somebody sent me a bottle, they want my opinion on it for a should you buy this segment or something like that. Vast majority of the time, it's just that day. I won't eat anything spicy is basically, which for me, for me is a big sacrifice. I eat a lot of hot sauce, but if it's an important tasting that day, then I'll try not to eat spicy food at least until after the tasting. 
and I think there's going to be an episode coming up on that. Um, I'm, I don't remember. It might have gotten pushed from some interviews that I had to schedule, but I would like to do an episode about palette prep and then explaining the difference and, and showing it, demonstrating it, basically. Next question, and last, I think, yeah, last of our long-form questions. Have you ever looked into buying a micro-barrel and re-aging slash mixing bourbons? Uh, yeah, so I actually just got one for my birthday. It was a gift, and I'm very excited to try it, and I don't know what I'm going to put in it yet, so that's probably going to be something I'm going to ask my patrons, um, but if you want to shoot me a DM or an email or whatever and give suggestions as well, that's fine, but most likely I'm going to weight that towards my patrons and, and see what they think I should do because I'm very excited to get into it. But I don't know yet what I want to do with it. So definitely going to need some opinions from you guys. All right. That is the last of our long form version of these questions. I'm going to take a very quick sip of this mystery whiskey. Then we're going into lightning round. The best way I can put this is it's got oak with like a little bit of a cream. So it's got like a, a woodiness, a creaminess. And then like a spice at the end. Like I get hit with a spiciness from it. So maybe that gives it away. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Let's get into the lightning round because we are running low on time for recording tonight. All right. Best whiskey as a bachelor party gift. Uh, one that I've seen taken to bachelor parties pretty often is Angel's Envy, specifically because it's easy to drink. Um, if you're taking it for like the whole bachelor party to share, it's just, it's easy to drink because it's finished. It's it It's finished and it has that sweetness. We talked about this with Wes, uh, episode 115, it, but it also has complexity to it. And that's one of the things I love about Angel's Envy. I know some people don't like it very much, but I, I do, and I openly admit that. Um, but probably something finished, maybe a, a nice scotch um, if they if it's somebody who you think might like scotch, but you really got to judge your crowd. So that's a question that could really be tailored to the person asking it, but that's my answer. Next question, have I tried peated or smoked bourbons? If so, what do you think of them? I haven't tried a peated or smoked bourbon. I have tried a bourbon finished with, is it smoked hickory? Something like that, which somebody's going to actually ask me about here in a minute. It's not a bourbon, actually. It's whiskey finished with that. Uh, So I'll answer that. It's the McLaughlin one. I'll just say it right now. It is hickory. That's what it is. The McLaughlin Distillery, it's behind me there if you're watching the video uh finished it's a whiskey finished with with hickory wood um and that one i really enjoyed just because it was super different but i haven't had a peated bourbon i have no idea what that's going to taste like so i I haven't seen one on the shelf that i can think of i'll keep an eye out what's my daily pour been these days my daily pour is whatever i need to review that day i'll be honest with you I, i i need to get better at taking a mental health glass of whiskey like picking something off my shelf and drinking it for fun. Uh, But right now it's almost entirely reviews and opinions that people ask for. So doing a lot of that, which hopefully you guys enjoy. Hoping you're liking the reviews. If you haven't, go check out the Should You Buy It style reviews that I've been posting. Next question. Had to limit your collection to 20 bottles. What would you keep in the rotation? I'm certainly not going to list off 20 bottles, especially because I'm running out of time now. I'm going to I'm gonna look at my shelf here and throw out a couple that I would love to have. Uh, Weller Foolproof would probably keep on my shelf. Uh, Barrel Seagrass I would keep on my shelf. Uh, for Scotch, I would always keep Monkey Shoulder, especially for the newer folks. And I'd probably keep that Quinta Rubin that I mentioned earlier. Um, probably for my budget stuff, I would always keep Buffalo trace on my shelf. Um, I feel like I can't go through the rest of these quick enough. Uh, looking around, 
Yeah. All right. I'm going to leave it. Oh, I would keep Lagavulin 16 because now that I've tried that, it's absolutely delicious. So that's definitely not 20, but just off the top of my head, off the cuff, those are ones that I would keep around. Can you tell the difference between an unopened and open bottle of whiskey? Yes. This actually goes back to the note about aerating your whiskey on purpose that I mentioned earlier. I did an episode on an open bottle and an unopened bottle. Don't know what episode that was. I will look it up right now, but I don't know what episode it was, but I did. I was able to tell the difference blind. So it's not just me blowing smoke. You can tell the difference. Don't purposefully leave your whiskey open for far too long. Uh, that was episode. Episode number 65 is the neck pour of whiskey real. I did a blind tasting with three bottles of Buffalo trace. As I mentioned, I'm, I know what Buffalo trace is supposed to taste like, and I could tell the difference. And one of those was not even a very old bottle. It just had been open. It was about halfway gone. And I drank through that half very quickly. So, uh, it was not, not, not very quickly, like in a night, but very quickly because I was doing a video series with it on TikTok. So yeah, you can tell the difference. Don't purposefully aerate your whiskey unless it's something you specifically know that you enjoy. Is it typical for a store pick for a store to charge a premium for a store pick? How much extra is reasonable? I can't tell you how much extra is reasonable, but I did want to say that yes, usually store picks, single barrels, influencer picks, those are a little bit more expensive than just buying whatever that bottle is. So I did Blue Note Juke Joint, uh, uncut, unfiltered. We only charged a little bit above what you would pay for plain Blue Note Juke Joint, but uh, you can charge a lot more, especially as you get more popularity, more notoriety. If a store charges that and it's all sitting on the shelf, that's on them because they're charging that premium. Um, But you'll see that happen a lot of times with influencers as well. And I think it's totally fair as long as it's selling. I, I, uh, if you like that influencer or that store and you like what they're able to pick, then I would do that. Good Beach Bourbon. I actually did not, when I read this the first time, I thought it was whiskey. I was going to say barrel seagrass because you can put it on ice and it still gives you like that nice sweet fruitiness. Um, I would say for bourbon, I just had this in my summer bourbons video. I like Four Roses single barrel. I don't know why. I don't know why it tastes like summer to me. Maybe I just drank too much of it in the summertime, but it tastes like summer to me. So that's what I'm going to say. What do I think about Noah's Mill? I love Noah's Mill. I know people who don't. It's got a little bit of spiciness to it, uh, but I know people who don't like it. I love it. Uh, This next person said, I just want to say thank you for all you do. You bring so much to the whiskey community. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, it's really reaffirming when people tell me that I'm bringing something to the community or to them. That's my favorite part of doing all this. So thank you without getting too mushy gushy. That means a lot. The next question, what are some of the bottles that exceeded your expectations off the top of my head? Redwood empires pipe dream exceeded my expectations. Um, when, before I knew how notorious it was, Weller special reserve exceeded my expectations. Um, Oh, Barrel Seagrass. That was probably the first one to really exceed my expectations. That's the first bottle that I bought, and I was like, whoa. Um, so, yeah, those all exceeded my expectations. Probably that Lagavulin 16 as well. Next question. Where is the distillery in Western PA where you tried a smoked meat whiskey? Uh, yeah, so I said the whiskey tastes like smoked meat. I should clarify. It's not a smoked meat whiskey, but it reminded me of smoked meat. And it is that one behind me. Wait, which way do I lean? My camera's backwards and I'm leaning the wrong way. Right there. Uh, That is from McLaughlin Distillery. Devil's Juice number five. 
yeah, Devil's Juice number five. It's finished. It's a whiskey finished with smoked hickory wood, I believe. Um, but that's where I got it. So I got it from McLaughlin, and it's in Sewickley, Pennsylvania, which is kind of like an hour outside Pittsburgh, I think, or it's kind of near-ish Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. So check them out. Awesome distillery, awesome people, and I'm really glad to see they're starting to get some of the recognition they deserve. Next question, what's a good beginner bourbon? Sure, you get that a lot, but I want something that doesn't burn. Off the top of my head, I think Larceny is a good beginner bourbon uh, if you don't want something that burns because it's weeded. It's got a very good sweetness to it. I I like that. Next question, have I done any rise in taste comparisons across price points? I have not. I'm working on expanding these blind tastings, though, so you guys are going to be getting a lot more of them. Uh, Rise could very well be in the future. What are my thoughts on American single malt? This person says they're seeing it a lot recently. Uh, I like American single malts. I've had a couple so far. I've really been impressed by some. I've been less impressed by others. But probably likely to be seeing some more American single malt reviews and hopefully an episode here coming up on some American single malts. Definitely there's an episode. If it's not out already, it's recorded by now as of the recording of this. Um there's definitely an episode coming out with a whiskey that is blended but has American single malt in it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, next question, preferred cherries for an old-fashioned. Off the top of my head, um, Traverse City Whiskey Company has cocktail cherries that they sent me once, and I tried them, and I loved them. So any cocktail cherry will do. I like the darker syrup ones that are actually a cocktail cherry, not a maraschino, maraschino cherry. Hopefully I pronounced that right. So, yeah, that's my preference. How do you feel about cask finishes on bourbon and rye? What's your most unique finish? Uh, I think it's great if you're being transparent that it has a finish to it. If you are not just trying to call it a bourbon, full stop. That is actually what I had Wes Henderson, the founder of Angels Envy, on the show to talk about, episode 115, because we agree on that topic. And if they're being honest about it, though, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's opening a whole new door for bourbon and for American whiskey. But it's not a bourbon, full stop. It's a bourbon finished in blah 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 so the most unique that i've had it's not technically a bourbon i don't think but i'm not going to lean again it's the one behind me that i've talked about twice so far from mclaughlin distillery that was super unique with that hickory wood finish um so yeah next question have i tried blood oath yes i have blood oath packed number nine i think it's very delicious but i believe it cost me 150 dollars if i'm not mistaken i don't know if it's worth that much maybe it cost me 125 I remember thinking it might be a touch overpriced, but I thought it was very good at the same time. What are my thoughts on barrel bourbon? Would I consider it worth the $90? Depending on the bottle, yes. I have had a few of their bottles. Most of them are very high quality. Seagrass by far being my favorite. Larceny Small Batch versus Weller Special Reserve. Two awesome weeded bourbons. I can't, I don't know off the top of my head which one's going to win. I'm going to try to call it right now. I'm going to try to guess that Larceny is going to win by a razor thin margin, but that will likely be a future video because that is an awesome idea and I want to try it. The next person says baby do on 12 one. What's the best one to buy two of in 2023 buying one for me. Okay. That took me a second. What's the best whiskey to buy two bottles of one for me and one for my child's 21st. Uh, I don't know what's going to appreciate in value. If it was me though, and I was saving it for 21 years, I would get something that's kind of a limited release. So that 21 years from now, it's like, you know, unheard of ideally. So that's probably what I would do flats or drums. When it comes to chicken wings, I'm a flats guy, big fan of flats drums. Sometimes just have too much like the cartilage on them for me. 
Bear, this next person says, Barrel Batch 33 was okay for me. I hear Batch 34 is better. Is it worth the $80 price? I liked Batch 34, but I don't really remember what Batch 33 tasted like. So I don't want to say, oh, you should try it if you didn't like 33. I can't really make that comparison. I liked Batch 34. Whether or not it's worth $80, that's a high price tag. It's definitely going to come down to if you like that flavor profile which I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember it had some spice to it. I did a review of it. So you can find the review on my social media um, and look up other reviews of it from trusted sources. And I would try to get an idea for the flavor profile and, and go from there. But anything over like $60, I always am like, make sure specifically you like that profile before you go spending your money on it. Usually that's just me. Uh, you know, if you have the money, go for it. What's the best and worst thing about living in Ohio as a bourbon drinker? This is an easy one. The best thing is that we don't pay ridiculous prices for our bourbon. The worst thing is it's really hard to find the bourbons that you would be paying ridiculous prices for. But I love it. I, lo- I, love, I love it and I hate it. I hate that I can't ever find – like I can't just walk into a store and find a special bourbon. But I love that if I do get my hands on something that's rare, I'm paying very close to MSRP for it. I'm paying a great price for it usually. If you don't know this, Ohio has controlled pricing. The state controls the pricing, so we don't get gouged too much, knock on wood. So, The next question. My family and friends don't like whiskey. How can I find people to do tastings with, even virtual? I'd recommend getting involved in like some Facebook groups, some subreddits, things like that. Get to know people in your area. A lot of times like areas will have like Facebook groups, like bourbon drinkers in this area. Like, so I would recommend that maybe you could meet up at like a restaurant and do a flight together with somebody or something like that. Just be very careful. Don't get catfished. I'm not trying to say that or, you know, virtual tastings with somebody that you meet online through those, those groups. All right. Moving on to the next question. How do you feel about old granddad? This person says great or for the price, I think it's a great bottle. I like old granddad bonded. I don't think I've had just plain old granddad. And I also like old granddad 114. Uh, how many bottles of whiskey do you currently have? I, this might've been in the last episode, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, uh, but it's over a hundred. I quit counting after a hundred and I haven't counted in a long time. So probably more than that. Uh, next question. Love the podcast. It's the best way to start the week. Not a question, a statement. All right. Thank you. Another one, another positive vibe. Thank you for putting kindness out into the world. I appreciate that. All right, moving on to the next question. What would you rate Weller Special Reserve 1 through 10, and is $50 a fair price to pay for it? At $50, I would rate it like 3 4 probably. So I don't think $50 is a fair price for it. At the $23 or $26 I pay in Ohio, it's a solid like 8 Like I love Weller Special Reserve for that price. But... Okay, I, okay, three was harsh. At $50, I'd put it at like a five. It's like, meh, you know, but I wouldn't, like if it cost $50, I personally probably wouldn't be buying it. That's just me. So probably not, but if you can't get your hands on it, you know, maybe for you, just for one bottle, so you get to try it. The next person says, why does Willet Pot Still Reserve get so much hate? So I talked with a buddy about this, actually. My personal opinion, it, it gets, part of the reason it gets hate is because people hit, like, like they like to jump in on things that get hated. But the reason it initially got hate is it was hyped up to be the super cool whiskey release, and everybody was very disappointed by it. I get that. But I also think people pile on top of that on the internet nowadays. That's my personal opinion. Do whiskey bottles need to be stored upright rather than on the side? This person said that space is an issue. Depends who you ask. In my opinion, and from everybody I've talked to, 
no, you should not store whiskey bottles on their side, or I should say, yes, they have to be stored upright. You don't want that cork soaking in the whiskey. It can slowly eat away at the cork. I've had people disagree with me, but there's always two sides to a story when you're on social media. Any experience with rum or Nova rum podcast? I don't know of a rum podcast. One experience with rum, I had Appleton Estates. It was a request of a patron, so I did a review on my Patreon page, and I thought it was really good. I was very surprised that I actually enjoyed it. Have I made a freezer door old-fashioned? If so, what did I use? I have not yet, but I'm highly likely to, so keep your eyes out for a video. I'm still coming up with what I'm going to do for that freezer door old-fashioned, but I am highly likely to be doing one. The next question, what area or type of whiskey do you want to further explore? Definitely anything that's not American. I mean, I I love American whiskey, so I'm stuck. I explore it all the time, and I love that. But I do want to get into more like scotches and Irish whiskeys, um, especially into the higher proof ranges. I just haven't. They're expensive in, in America, and so that's something that I'd like to do. The next person asks, what exactly is a sour mash? To keep it brief, you take a little bit of your last run of mash after you you know drain off the liquid and distill that. You take a little bit of that mash and you use it to start up your next batch of mash. A lot like Amish friendship bread, or I think sourdough bread. I think that's how it, why it has the name sourdough. Uh, same idea. You're using that fermented bit to start the next fermentation process. Where did I get my sign and what made me start my podcast? I got my sign, wrong side again because it's backwards for me. I got my sign uh, as a gift. I believe it's from Etsy and I love it. I think it looks great in the back right there. Oh, I also, the other sign, I don't know which sign you're asking about. I realize this one or this one. Um, The other sign my dad built for me and I love that as well. One with like the metal in the barrel. Um, So I think... They both look fantastic. So when I do two different camera angles, I get two different signs. I love that. Um, But that's where I got them. Uh, And why did I decide to start the podcast? Why did I decide to do the podcast? I'm moving too quick here. Why I decided to do the podcast. Uh, There wasn't any whiskey podcast covering the bases that I wanted to cover. And I knew how to produce a podcast. So I thought, let's do it. And uh, the rest is history. Didn't know that that was the last question. So that's what got me into podcasting was wanting a podcast. Specifically, let's get a little more in depth since that was the last one. Specifically, I was in my one-bedroom apartment I lived in at the time. It was time for me to do dishes, and I wanted to listen to a podcast, and I was like, I really want to hear more about whiskey. This is when I was in what I would call like a, a, a young novice phase of whiskey. I knew a little bit. And there wasn't anything that walked through it the way that I was like, it should be walked through this way, in my personal opinion. It's just my opinion. Uh, And I thought, why don't I do that? I'm new to it. I know what new people want to hear, at least I think. Uh, So let's do it. And that was two years ago, and I've learned a ton since then, but I still consider myself relatively new. I'll never claim to be the guru of whiskey. There's far too much to learn about whiskey out there. Great question to end on, honestly. So... Let's round this episode out with our mystery whiskey review. I'm going to take one more sip of it. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to get out of here. This had a little something-something this time that I didn't catch before. Maybe a touch of nuttiness. And in case you're guessing it, I realize I've said some overlapping notes here. Not Noah's Mill and not Weller Foolproof, because I think I called both of those kind of similar to this. But definitely a, a, a mix of a creaminess and a spiciness. There's definitely a little bit of that there. 
Did you narrow it down? Hopefully you narrowed it down to a bourbon because a lot of what I was saying was very bourbon-esque. But specifically, I am drinking Smooth Ambler Contradiction Bourbon. Uh, really a fan. It's a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys, so multiple different things coming together to make that flavor profile. I've been a fan of it. I will say I was blown away with it when I first tried it. It's probably my palate condition. Like I said, I ate spicy food today. Here I am saying it's not a big deal. Maybe it's a big deal. I don't know. It tastes a little bit harsher this time around. Um, but also, that could just be my palate. You know, you can't take any of those things too set in stone. You got to take them with a grain of salt. But on the nose, still smells amazing. So that's what I'm drinking. One last time, you can always submit your questions every Wednesday to the Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs. There will be a, a post on my story. You click on that sticker. You type in your question and send it to me. If you want to jump to the front of the line, you're going to have to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash whiskey noobs. Thank you so much to all of the patrons. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Thank you to you guys who are submitting questions and participating and making this a more fun, more participatory podcast at least once a month when I do the Q&A episodes. Keep them coming in. I will leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time you can also find more whiskey noobs content on instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on tiktok at whiskey noobs podcast once again thank you guys for listening the whiskey noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol